Well, good morning, Springbrook. Welcome in to the house of the Lord for worship. We are so glad to be with you this morning. If you're joining us online for our 9 o'clock service, we have online hosts who are available and ready for you to answer your questions, to pray with you. So please engage in that chat as you feel led. We are glad that you are with us and you're connecting with us from wherever the Lord has you today. I'd love to invite you to stand as you are able for our call to worship, which today comes from Psalm 37. And it says this, it says, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Let's delight in him together this morning. Love is love to 
Beneath the chasm that lay between us, how high the mountain I could not climb. In desperation, I turned to heaven and spoke your name into the night. Then through the Christ, my living hope. Who could imagine so great a mercy? What heart could fathom such boundless grace? The God of ages stepped down from glory to wear my sin and bear my shame. The cross has spoken, I am forgiven. The King of kings calls me his own. Beautiful Savior, I'm yours forever. Jesus Christ, my living
Jesus at the center of it all. Jesus at the center of it all. From beginning to the end, it will always be, it's always been you, Jesus. Jesus. Jesus at the center of it all. Jesus at the center of it all. From beginning to the end, it will always be, it's always been you, Jesus. Jesus, nothing else matters. Nothing in this world will do. Jesus, you're the center of it all. Jesus.
Jesus at the center of it all. From beginning to the end, it will always be, it's always been you, Jesus. Jesus. You may be seated. This morning we have an opportunity to come together, uh, together to celebrate communion. I want to encourage you to stop for a moment to think about how long ago Easter was. It's been over a month, right? It was over a month since we celebrated our last communion. We celebrated uh, Jesus' resurrection, and it was an exciting time for us to come together. And then it's a month later, and then it'll be two months later, and then three months later, and before you know it, Easter will be far behind us. And it's it's easy to forget the the events of Easter. For the disciples in the series that we're in, it's only day eight. It's only been eight days since Jesus was resurrected. So the disciples, after his resurrection, and he's appearing to them for 40 days, or at the beginning of that period of time, spending a lot of time just hanging out together, trying to discern and figure out what has happened. And so Peter is with the disciples at the very beginning of chapter 21 of the book of John. Peter's with the disciples, and he says this beginning in verse 5, I'm going fishing. To which they replied to him, we're going to go with you. And they all got into the boat, and they went out that night to catch fish, and they caught nothing. Now, Jesus would appear to Peter, and so Peter's going to get his special occurrence of being able to talk with Jesus during this appearance before he's resurrected. But there's something about that passage that I think is really important for us to think about. Peter's default was, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go back to what I was doing, fishing. And the other disciples just kind of followed suit. In other words, the specialist of that day, only eight days later, is still left me with questions and confusion. I'm just going to go back to my former ways of behavior. I think it's easy for us when we take communion to, to not stop to think about how easy it is for us to also slip back into former ways of behavior. And so communion is an opportunity for us to reflect back and remember that point in which we made a faith commitment, whether it was 25 years ago, whether it was 50 years ago, or whether it was last year. Communion is an opportunity for us to stop and, and to reflect and to give thanks for God's call in our life and for the hope that we have in Christ and to celebrate that. It's also an opportunity for us to evaluate ourselves. Paul says we're to evaluate ourselves before we come together to take communion. It's an opportunity for us to, to reflect on the fact and to think about is there any former ways of living that have crept back into my life? Have I slipped back into other forms of behavior or ways of thinking before I made my relationship with Christ? So it's an opportunity for us to reflect on our lives as well. And so as we think about communion this morning, as we come together to partake of communion, as you come to the table and go back to your seats, I'd encourage you to spend some time just to reflect and give thanks for the hope that you have in Christ and to ask God to continue to reveal himself to you in a fresh new way. We are continually filled with the Holy Spirit. And so that's not a one-time event. God is continuing to fill himself with his spirit on a daily and a routine basis. And we don't want to forget our first love. In Revelation chapter 2, uh, Jesus warns that church in Ephesus, not that they're warm, they're, they're lukewarm, and he holds that against them. And so we don't want to be lukewarm in our faith. We need to pray on a routine basis that God would continue to fill us with a sense of his presence and his spirit and lead us with wisdom and clarity. 
And so Jesus, when he was with those disciples at that last supper, I don't think they fully understood what was happening, but he lifted that bread up and he broke it. And he said, this bread is reflective of my body, which is going to be broken for you for the forgiveness of your sins. Whenever you eat it, eat it in remembrance of me. And then he lifted that cup up after they had finished eating. He said, this cup is reflective of my blood that's going to be spilled for you. It's going to be shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins. Whenever you eat this bread or you drink this cup, do this in remembrance of me. And so let's take some time this morning as we partake of communion to remember and to give thanks for God's call in our life. Father, I just want to thank you for this day you've given us today. I thank you for the hope that we do have in Christ and for the opportunity we have to come together to encourage one another in our faith. There are those here this morning that have questions about our relationship with Christ or what communion is about. God, I pray that you would prompt them to discover the answers that they're searching for. God, thank you for your call in our life and for that hope that we do have. And we lift this time up to you this morning for you and for your glory. We pray for a continued sense of your spirit filling us and your guidance and your leading in our lives. We commit this day to you for your glory. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. And so at any point during this next song, feel free to make your way up to the front. You can take your elements back to your chair. And then uh, Bethany will be back up in just a moment to sing with us.
to rise to you when temptation comes my way and when I cannot stand I'll fall on you Jesus you're my hope and stay desperate for you, Jesus. We depend on you, Holy Spirit. We need you, God. Every moment, actually, every breath, every beat of our hearts, we need you. God, I lift up each person in this room. Those who are watching online, you know their stories, you know their hearts, and you know the particular corner of their life where they are feeling desperate for you to intervene today. You know where they are crying out, where they need you. You know the places where they don't even have the words to pray anymore. Holy Spirit, we praise you that you intercede and you pray on our behalf when we have no more words. When we cannot stand, we fall on you. God, I pray that you would grant us permission to fall today if we have to. If we're tired, if we're grieving, if we're bearing up under too much weight, will you help us to fall on you? To surrender, trying to do things in our own strength. Because we're striving and it is not working. Will you help us to trust you enough that we could fall on you today? Spirit, we need you to open our eyes today so that we can see clearly. We need you to open our ears so that we can hear your voice in this place. We need you. We need you to soften us, to open our hearts. We can't do it on our own. Open our hearts to what you have for us today. In your presence, in your word, in this time, in this place. Do your work in us, we pray. Be glorified. We pray all of these things in the matchless name of Christ Jesus, our King. Amen. 
Amen and amen. You may be seated. Well, welcome to Springbrook. We're so glad that you are with us today. Hey, with your communion cups, if you'd like to, uh, after the service this morning, you can just drop those in the trash can on your way out. But uh, we're so glad that you are with us. If you're watching with us online this morning, we're grateful you're with us as well. Be sure to say hello in the chat. You can fill out their online connection card. And if you're in person with us, you've got that connection card in your seat. And so if you could just take that out at some point during the service, put your name on there, the names of any adults that are with you, just to let us know you were here, that'd be great. There's a place for you to share your prayer requests. And if you've got any questions, uh, please let us know. You can write those down um, as well. Hey guys, I wanted to let you know that our, um, we have a men's group that's going to be meeting on the third Monday of every month uh, starting on May 15th. And so Darren Joslin and the, a team that really was working with our No Regrets uh, men's ministry uh, is going to be hosting a monthly men's gathering. And so uh, they want to encourage you, if you're not connected to Springbrook, you're looking to build some relationships with some other guys, if you're not connected anywhere, you want to get to meet some other men, um, there, it's an open invitation. It's going to be starting at uh, 6.30 is when the doors open, and I think... Uh, they're going to have some food uh, ready for you, some snacks, and then they're going to dive into the study at 7. And so if you're interested, you know, want to know more about that, you can go to our website. It's on our app as well. Uh, but uh, they want to encourage you to take that opportunity to get connected. They're going to be meeting every month as they move through the different studies that, that were covered during the uh, No Regrets Conference. And so if you have any questions about that, please uh, be sure to let us know. I also want to let you know that uh, during this series, it's been encouraging uh, to hear stories of where God has been at work in the lives of our congregation. And so the, the series is called Sent. We've been sent, uh, but we're also called to go, come, come and see, and then go and tell. And so it's been really encouraging for me just to hear stories of where uh, God has been at work in the lives of uh, people at Springbrook. In fact, we have a ministry. It's a jail ministry. We have uh, uh, somebody at Springbrook that signed up to serve, to lead a Bible study in the jail ministry. And I got an email from them last week, and they said this. Uh, one of the forms they were filling out said that, you know, they're in, in an escape attempt, um, you could potentially be taken hostage. Someone might try to change clothes with you to disguise themselves, and there's a potential that you could be handcuffed or held until identities are confirmed. And so she's filling out the form, and she says, as I'm reading all this, at the end, it was like a question in my mind, are you sure you want to do this? And I was like, yes, I do want to do it. So I clicked, yes, I'm aware of all the events. And then she said this, I got to thinking, you know what? If something would happen to me, at least I died doing the right job. You know, we are, we are called to go and tell. We come and see and then we go and tell. And sometimes when we go, it takes us into areas that can sometimes be scary. But when God is going before us, we have nothing to fear. And there's a sense of joy that comes from being obedient to, to going and telling others. And so I just want to encourage you. I know we, I have heard so many stories this past several weeks. I want to encourage you. I, I usually hear about them. Uh, you know, every once in a while I get an email. But on our website, if you go to our website, springbrook.org slash stories, it's on our app as well. Um, you'll find links, uh, many places where you can just click the link and you can share a story with us via an email. Uh, there's a place where you can video it if you want to video it. Um, there's a place for you to type it out. But I want to encourage you to share stories about where God is at work. You know, Scripture says that all of the Bible could not contain all the stories that were told about Jesus. But there's something about stories that are so powerful. It's been encouraging to me as I think about where God has been working the lives of people through this series, and I hope it's been encouraging to you, and we'd love the opportunity to share that. So take a moment to share any stories that you might have. If you want to keep them confidential, I won't share them, but if you're willing to share, I uh, would love to be able to share those with others. It's encouraging to hear about where God is at work, and we're so glad that you are with us as we continue uh, this series uh, sent. Pastor Kim's going to be out in just a moment, but I want to thank you for being with us this morning.
I have doubts. I doubt that the Cubs are going to win the World Series this year. They could, but I doubt it. Have other sorts of doubts. I'm boarding a plane to the Philippines in just a couple of days. It's a long flight, and I doubt that I will get any sleep on the plane. But you know, I have doubts that are of a far deeper and more painful type at times. Sometimes I doubt, is anything that I'm doing really making a difference? Sometimes I look at my life and I see how painfully slowly I am growing in my walk with Christ. And and I think to myself, am, am I even a believer at all? Sometimes I go through some things and I struggle with questions and doubts. Like, does God really love someone like me? You know, often as we gather together in the church, as we look around, we can find ourselves in those moments of doubt, feeling like we're the only one. And we look around and we we see other people and, and we think to ourselves, everybody else seems to be so rooted in certainty. But did you know that every one of us struggles with different kinds of doubts at different times? Thanks be to God that when I find myself in the midst of those doubts, Sometimes it's through a verse of Scripture. Sometimes it's through a word of encouragement from another believer. Sometimes it's something entirely different. But God is so faithful to lead me back to a perspective of truth. But we do struggle and wrestle with doubts. John the Baptist when he was sat in a prison cell, struggled and wrestled with doubts. He sent his messengers to Jesus, and it's like, hey, so are you the one, or are we supposed to be waiting for somebody else? Doubting is at times normal. And this morning, as we continue our series that we're calling Sent, as we're thinking about this period of time following the glorious resurrection of Christ from the dead, as Jesus is appearing to his disciples over the period of 40 days before his ascension to be seated at the Father's right hand. Today, we're going to look at an episode in which we see Jesus before a man whose name has become synonymous with doubts. In fact, we often call him Doubting Thomas. It really is kind of an unfair designation. That's not all there is to know about Thomas, but that's what we often associate. But I hope that as we open God's Word together this morning, and I want to invite you to grab your Bibles and join me there in John chapter 20. 
John chapter 20, we're going to be beginning in verse 24. That as we see how Jesus comes into the midst of Thomas's doubts and how he calls him to respond to the reality of the fact that he has risen from the dead. That as we look at this episode in the life of this man by the name of Thomas, that we ourselves will be challenged, that we'll be comforted, that we'll be reminded that while we may experience doubts of various kinds, that we have a compassionate and merciful God who delights to meet us in even those places where we struggle with fear, with uncertainty, with doubt. John chapter 20, beginning in verse 24, we read these words. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. We'll stop there for a moment because we need to get some context here as we see this man, Thomas. You see, Thomas has been a faithful, albeit pessimistic, follower of Jesus to this point. We've met him a couple of times. If we were reading all the way through John's gospel, we would have encountered him specifically in John chapter 11, uh, when news comes to Jesus and his disciples that their friend Lazarus has died. And Jesus says, we're going to Jerusalem. And they know that that the religious leaders in Jerusalem are looking for a way to kill Jesus. So, so when Jesus says, so we're going to Jerusalem, Thomas speaks up at that point and says, well, guess we might as well go there and die with him. We've all met people kind of like that, right? They look at the worst case scenario, well, I guess we're going to die. It's as good a place to die as any. Oh, we see him a few chapters later, and I'm very thankful that here we see Thomas stepping up and asking the question that was on everybody else's mind, but that nobody else thought to ask. You see, uh, shortly before going to the cross, there after they celebrated together the Last Supper, just like we've had communions, they gathered together for that Last Supper. And Jesus is instructing, he's teaching his disciples, he's talking about the fact that he's leaving, that he's going away, he's going to the Father. And he says to them, um, uh, you know where, uh, you know uh, how to get where I am going. And Thomas is like, uh, Jesus, we don't know where you're going. How do you, how do we know the way? And, and, and Jesus answers him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Thomas is one of the twelve. He has followed Jesus faithfully, but here in John chapter 20, we we find this scene. Jesus has been brutally killed on the cross, what we now call today Good Friday. As we've seen over the last couple of weeks, he rose again from the dead. The tomb is empty. He's appeared to Mary Magdalene. 
He appeared, as we saw last week, to some of the disciples as they were gathered behind locked doors. But now we're told it's eight days later. And by the way, the, 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 the Jews reckoned the movement of days from one to the next. Uh, this means that it was actually the, the Sunday following that first Easter. So they're gathered here, and the situation is very similar. They're hiding out in this place. The doors are locked, just as we saw last week, because they're afraid. They're afraid maybe somebody's going to find them and arrest them just like they arrested Jesus. But just as we saw last week, Jesus appeared to his disciples there. So this week we're told there was one of the group of disciples that wasn't there. We don't know where Thomas was. We, maybe he had done a Walmart run. We really don't know. But he wasn't there with them. And so he comes back, and when he comes back and gathers with them, they're like, oh man, you missed it. Jesus is alive. He's risen. We've seen him. He was here. And, and the language of the text here tells us that Thomas was told over and over again. They're like, no, 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 you, you guys are crazy. No, 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 uh, you're just, it's, it's just wishful thinking that's making you delirious. But over and over again, the rest of the disciples are like, no, we're serious. We wouldn't joke about this. We've seen the Lord. He has risen from the dead. And Thomas, he says, I don't know what you've been drinking. But I'm not going to believe that. We don't know why he didn't believe it. We don't know if it was, if, if he just thought that, it, that they were overcome by sort of wishful thinking. We don't know if it was that, that he still had so vividly fresh in his mind's eye watching Jesus be nailed to a cross and die before his eyes. And it's like, no, I know he's dead. I saw it. We don't know. But what we do know is as John writes this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he tells us that Thomas says, unless I see his hands and the mark of the nails and place my finger in the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. I don't believe you're telling the truth. I, I, I can't cross that bridge of doubt. But then as the passage continues to unfold, we see that when confronted with the evidence that Christ is risen, our task is not to disbelieve, but to believe. And so we see, again, this, this episode uh, mirrors the one that we looked at last week, if you were here, in the preceding verses. Because then in verse 26 of our passage this morning, it says, Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them, although the doors were locked. Jesus came, and he stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And so again, they're still hiding out. The doors are still locked. The only difference now a week later is that Thomas is there as well. 
And just as we saw last week, Jesus comes into this locked room because the resurrected Jesus is not limited by locked doors. He greets them in the same way as we saw him greet them last week. Peace be with you. And we're reminded here that this is the the physically risen Christ. And there he is standing with them. And I love this. Verse 27. Then he, then Jesus said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. And put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve. But believe. Don't you love the fact that Jesus does not come rebuking him? He doesn't come saying, Thomas, why didn't you believe what everybody said? Thomas, why are you such a doubter? No. Jesus meets Thomas in the very place of his doubt. I love the fact that we have such a compassionate Savior. And you know what? This reminds us of an important truth, and that is that our God is omniscient. What does that mean? That means he's all-knowing. You see, Jesus was not physically standing there to overhear Thomas say, I'm never going to believe unless... But he knows. He knows Thomas's heart. He hears our prayers. He knows and sees the things that we speak and the things that we do. The resurrected Jesus does not physically stand beside us in the places that we go, but he is with us. He sees, he knows, he hears, he understands. Such is our God. There is never a moment, never a situation, never a circumstance in your life or mine where God is not present and fully aware of all that is taking place. And here in the midst of his doubt, Jesus meets with Thomas, you know, sometimes when we're facing struggles and uncertainty and doubts in our own life, we have this ridiculous idea of the fact that it's like, oh, well, I don't know. I I don't want God to know that I'm struggling with this doubt. Like, what? He already knows. We have this idea that, oh, uh, you know, uh, I say that I'm struggling struggling with this idea that God could really love somebody like me. God's just going to be more mad at me. No. He is a God of mercy and of compassion. He's faithful and gracious, abounding in steadfast love and mercy. And we see this beautiful picture here as Jesus invites Thomas, reach out your hand and touch. But notice that Jesus gives Thomas kind of a a call to action here. 
says to Thomas, do not disbelieve, but believe. And that's really important because you see, sometimes in our doubts, we can stay where we are even when confronted with credible evidence. And here, Jesus is saying, you said that you would never believe unless you see this. You'd never believe unless you do this. What are you going to do? How are you going to respond now in the midst of this situation? How are you going to respond to the credible evidence of the resurrection? Do not disbelieve, but believe. Now, before we see Thomas's response in just a moment, I think it's, it's really appropriate that we take a moment to think about this issue of doubts because we all struggle at times with various kinds of doubts. And there are two particular, if you like, categories of doubts that we should be aware of. Uh, The first, as we deal with doubts, the first is uh, number one here. A doubt can be a legitimate question or uncertainty about something for which we have not yet received credible evidence. There's a sense in which we could say that this was Thomas's situation. It was a legitimate doubt, a legitimate question, a legitimate uncertainty because he didn't feel that up to that point he had had credible evidence. Now, we could argue over, over that and what's the threshold for Thomas to have credible evidence uh, but Jesus is now calling him to a response. He's like, you, you feel like you didn't have credible evidence? Here, how's this? What are you going to do with it? But there's a second kind of doubt that, that we struggle with at different times, not specifically what we see here with Thomas, but very real in many of our lives. A doubt can be a temporary unsettledness or, or fear that something that we have believed may not prove to be true despite the credible evidence. We'll think about that more in just a moment, but a couple of things that I want to show you is is this first one that we see Thomas wrestling with here. Jesus says, do not disbelieve, but believe. He calls him to a response. And one of the things that we see as he calls him to a response is that we have to honestly and legitimately in the face of some of these sorts of doubts, wrestle with whether or not we actually have doubts or excuses. Do we have doubts or do we have excuses? See, the doubts that we have, the doubt that Thomas had about Jesus having raised from the dead was real and legitimate, but when confronted with evidence, he could not stay in a place of doubt. He had a choice. You either disbelieve and reject, or you believe and you accept. And I don't know about you, if you've ever experienced this, and maybe if we're brutally honest, some of us are even in this place this morning where we've got all sorts of questions, but we need to wrestle with whether they are doubts or they are excuses. I have sat with people who have said to me, if you can just show me where in the Bible dinosaurs fit, then I will believe. And 
And as I've sat there looking across the table at them, I've said, if that was really the obstacle to you putting your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, I would be happy to walk you through and answer that question. But is that really the obstacle or is that just number 12 of an endless list of excuses as to why you are rejecting the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior? There comes a time, especially when it comes to this issue of following Jesus as Savior and Lord, where every person needs to either disbelieve or believe. Here's the problem. Sometimes what happens is that we make the we, we say that we have a doubt, but but we're not willing to even look at the evidence. Uh, we have questions, but we do nothing whatsoever to go in search of finding the answer to those questions. And I want to suggest to you that though it may be as we're gathered here this morning or watching online, you may have some questions that every question you can throw at the Bible, every question you can throw at at, at the historicity of Jesus, the reality of the resurrection, that there is a credible, logical answer for those things if you are willing to look at the evidence. And so Jesus presents credible evidence. And he says, are you going to get over your doubt and believe? Or was this just an excuse for your disbelief? And Jesus warns him. But you know, there's other sorts of doubts that we have that fall into kind of that second category. We said a doubt can be a temporary unsettledness or fear that something that we have believed may not prove to be true despite the credible evidence. And and for, for many of us, even though we are perhaps followers of Jesus Christ, maybe we've been walking with him for a long time, we struggle at times. We read the Bible or we come, uh, we walk out of church and we're like, what if none of this is real? What if I'm misunderstanding? At times we can struggle with those. And, and the thing is, we feel alone in those because we think nobody else struggles with those things. But we do have questions. We struggle and we have to keep on coming back again. But how do we respond when we have those kinds of doubts in our own lives or when we see people who are close to us or we encounter people that we work with, with real struggles and doubts? I'm appreciative of, uh, of some articles by Michael Patton who helped me to think through some of this. And he suggests that the first thing that we need to do is that we need to recognize that we are called to have mercy on those who doubt. In fact, it actually talks about that in the book of Jude, verse 22. Have mercy on those who doubt. You see, sometimes we can look at people who are struggling with some different things and we can be quick to jump on them and to condemn them and have this attitude of, how dare you question this? How dare you struggle with that? And what we do 
is that we kind of drive them back into solitude and back into wrestling with and struggling with things in isolation instead of being merciful and saying, you know what? That may not be the exact doubt that I have struggled with, but, but I feel you in this. I know something of what you're going through, and I'm praying for you. And hey, if I, can, if I can do anything to remind you and to help you again to gain a perspective on truth, let me share with you this word of encouragement. We need to have mercy on one another as we struggle at times. Uh, we, we also need to recognize, uh, and we can be thankful for this, the reality that often doubt is the birth pangs of a deepening faith. Probably most of us have experienced this. If you've been walking with Jesus for any period of time, you'll realize that there are times where you feel like there's this, there's this issue that, that, that you're struggling with. But the Lord uses that time of questioning, that time of uncertainty, that time of, 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 of wrestling through that doubt to drive that truth deeper into your soul. And it can be an uncomfortable place to be wrestling there for a little while. But even in Romans chapter 5, talks about the fact that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope, and that hope does not put us to shame. It reminds us of the fact that, that through trials, through difficulties, there is often a deepening and a purifying of our faith. Friends, if you have some questions that you're wrestling with, don't do it in isolation. If somebody comes to you and says, I'm just wrestling with this right now, don't just give them immediate pat answers. Encourage them. Maybe share with them, Here, here's a few of the things that, that, that I've been comforted in in these doubts. We also need to recognize that we need to be ready to live with mystery. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, the secret things belong to the Lord. But the things that he has revealed belong to us and to the generations forever. In other words, there are some things that God has made known and there are other things that in his wisdom he has kept to himself. I don't know how God created the woodpecker. If you come to me with a question, I, I don't know. But he does. And for me... It is to trust that he is the great creator and designer. But there will be some questions, some far more deep and profound than that, that we will never this side of glory know the answer to. And that's okay. And so we walk by faith in that which he has made known to us. And we live with this sense of, of, of recognition of the fact that we, we don't have to know all of the answers. Faith is not about being able to answer every question. We also want to be those who recognize that when we're dealing with doubt, we need to make the main thing the main thing. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3, the apostle Paul talks about, the, uh, um, uh, really about the gospel, and he says, um, uh, uh, that which is of first importance I pass on to you. And then he goes to talk about the death 
and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. You know, sometimes we have doubts in some secondary areas. And we have questions. We don't know how to answer them. What do we do? We keep on going back to that which we know to be true. Those things that are of primary focus. It's not that those other things don't have any importance or any significance. They do. But in the midst of doubts, keep on coming back and make sure that you are returning again to the main things. In the midst of doubt, if you find yourself there this morning, live according to the faith that you still have. Here's the challenge that many wrestle with. We have this idea of the time, oh man, I'm struggling with some things here right now. I have some doubts about this thing. Because I doubt, I must not be a believer. And, well, if I'm not a believer, then I might as well just give it all up. No, simply because you have a question, simply because you are wrestling with something, because you're in a place and you're wondering, in the midst of this trial that I'm going through, is God really good? Don't excuse yourself by saying a doubt means that I'm not a Christian and therefore I can just go off the rails. And there, sadly, folks are people who are doing this. Be careful. Instead, doubt your doubts. This is really important. This is for all of us, especially though when I just direct this to some of our younger people. Doubt your doubts. For some reason, what we often do is we give greater credibility to doubt than we do to truth. Or somebody will come up and they'll present a so-called amazingly wise and flawless argument. Just go onto YouTube there. Well, actually, don't go on there. None of that stuff is original. And in those places, they're just knocking down straw men, not genuine biblical Christianity. But doubt the doubts. You see, one of the things that we need to do is to be critical of our doubts because doubts don't usually offer a better solution. They just nag at the ones that we already have. And then finally, as we deal with, with doubt in our life, Make sure that you're dealing with sin because sin in our lives distorts truth. It it becomes something that we use to excuse our doubts. Well, I want to disobey the Lord in this area. So this area over here that I've got doubt in, if I magnify this doubt, then it gives me permission to go in this way of disobedience. Friends, doubting is is real. There are times where you may say, I I don't know, is the Bible really reliable? Do some checking and you'll see that the evidence is overwhelming for the reliability of Scripture. Did Christ really rise from the dead? Am I really a believer? Or in Thomas' case here, he had a doubt. And Jesus said, don't stay where 
you are. You have a decision to make. Believe. And I love what we see in response to this, going back to our text. As Jesus says to him, do not disbelieve, but believe. In verse 28, we see Thomas's response. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, if you believe because you have seen me, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Here we have doubting Thomas. And when he's confronted with the evidence of the resurrection of Christ, he falls down before him and he simply cries out, my Lord and my God. And both of those titles are a declaration not only of faith, but of recognition of the divinity of Jesus. And because of that divinity, also his sovereign authority to rule over all things. You know, we cannot come to Jesus trying to maintain our own independence or on or autonomy, but when we come face to face with the reality, when the credible evidence of the reality that Christ died for our sins was buried, and on the third day He rose again, victorious to life, and in Him there is now life and salvation and forgiveness and reconciliation to God the Father, that demands a response. That's what we see Jesus telling Thomas here. And the only right response is to recognize and acknowledge Him as our Lord and our God. Maybe still to come and say, I still have questions. So do I. But I know and believe that you are the Son of God. One of my favorite cries in the pages of Scripture is found in Mark's Gospel, chapter 9, verse 24. As a man who has brought his child to the disciples to uh, uh, have uh, the child healed, a demon cast out of him. They're unable to do it. Jesus comes down from being up on the Mount of Transfiguration, and when he meets this man, he asks, What's the, what do you want me to do for you? What's the situation here? And the man says, Lord, I believe. Help me in my unbelief. Sometimes our response to Jesus is, Lord, I still have questions, but I know this to be true. I believe. Help me even in these places of unbelief. But the response that is making when we acknowledge that Jesus is who he says he is and has done what he said he would do is to do just as Thomas did and to cry out, my Lord and my God. to surrender every area of every part of our lives to Him. And here is what the Apostle Paul says about this in 1 Corinthians 6. He says, you are not your own, for you have been bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. 
And in Galatians 2.20, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. One of the greatest ways in which we deal with doubts in our life is to recognize the reality of the person of Christ in in surrender and obedience to Him, even though we may have questions and struggles, is to walk each moment of each day in obedience to Him. Because I promise you that as we follow after Christ, living in surrender to Him and to His Lordship, that we will find that our gracious and compassionate God will daily remind us of truth, will continually grant that sweet assurance of salvation, and will strengthen us even in those times where we feel the sting of uncertainty and questions as He sustains us as He carries us, and as He leads us. The life of faith in Christ Jesus is a life of obedience. It is a life of bringing our doubts, of bringing our questions, of setting them before Him and saying, Lord, I trust You. Lead me even with all of this, and reassure me with your grace and show me how to walk in your truth. I love how John then concludes this chapter, John chapter 20. He says, now Jesus did many other things in the presence of his disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written. These things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Uh, John says, listen, Jesus did all sorts of other things. I've not tried to give you everything. I've not tried to answer every question that you may have, but I've given you what you need to know so that you know so that you may believe, just as Thomas came to believe, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And if you believe, you will have life in His name. Today, we don't see in the same way as Thomas did. But by the grace of God, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, we believe. We believe by faith, but also because the Christian faith is logical. It's based on credible evidence. And we trust the trustworthiness of God and His Word. If today you have questions and doubts, please connect with one of our pastoral teams would love to interact with you about those, pray with you, walk with you, suggest some resources so that you can dig in and learn and grow. 
I would encourage you, just as John does, if you have questions about who this Jesus really is, open the Bible and start reading in John's gospel and look at what the Word of God presents about the person of Jesus Christ. If you're in a place today where you have been making excuses over the person of Jesus, and it's like, yeah, well, I kind of believe, but, 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 but what about this, and what about this, and what about this? I would challenge you just as Jesus challenged Thomas. And say, well, wait a second. Don't disbelieve, but believe. It's time to make a decision. It's time to make a step. It's time to, it's time to respond and turn to him. And if today you came here like a doubting Thomas, feeling overwhelmed with questions and uncertainty, feeling, how could I ever be good enough? Thinking, well, I prayed a prayer, but I don't know. Was it enough? Am I really a believer? Don't be discouraged by your questions. Don't be discouraged by your doubts, but don't walk in them alone. Take them to God. He already knows. Ask Him, saying, God, Would you have compassion on me in the midst of my doubt? Because, Lord, I believe, help me in my unbelief. And even before you leave here today, grab somebody. Find someone and just say, hey, would you pray with me? I'm I'm just wrestling with this in my life right now. And I could use some encouragement. Father, we thank you that you are the faithful God, that you are true. In you there is no falsehood. As we gather here in this place, we come and we are thankful for the testimony of Thomas. Because we do struggle at different times and in different ways with doubts and with questions. Lord, I pray that you would meet each one of us in our place of need today. That you would teach us to walk by faith and not by sight, even as we look to your word and to the credible evidence for its reliability. And it's truth. Lord, I pray for those here today who have been using questions as excuses for not taking that step of obedience and turning to you for life and salvation. Lord, if that is true of any here today, I pray that you would expose that fact that it is an excuse. And you would cause them to come to that place of looking to Jesus. Of putting their trust in him and receiving the gift of salvation that he offers. But I'm also sensitive, Lord, that there are some here who are feeling brokenhearted. Some who are feeling weak and discouraged some who are questioning 
and feeling like they're the only one. Oh Lord, would you strengthen, comfort, and compassionately meet with your children to remind us of the truth of Christ and of who we now are in him, if indeed we have put our faith in him. Lord, we ask these things, and we are thankful that you indeed are a faithful God who sees, hears, knows, and delights to meet with us. All praise be to your name. Amen. Amen. Well, let's rise one more time in response to the word we have received this morning. our voices one more time together I've built up my own name but the walls couldn't stand I've trusted my own strength but it was sinking sand so I put my ruins into your hands and watch you restore them like only you
We want to thank you for joining us to worship this morning. We pray now that you will go in faith to love and serve him this week. Have a blessed week in the Lord.